Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for standing by. Welcome to Sprott Inc.'s 2020 Third Quarter Results Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Following the presentation, we will conduct a question and answer session. Instructions will be provided at that time for you to queue up for questions. If anyone has any difficulties hearing the conference, please press star followed by the zero for operator assistance at any time. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded today, November 13, 2020. On behalf of the speakers that follow, listeners are cautioned that today's presentation and the responses to questions may contain forward-looking statements within the meaning of the safe harbor provision of the Canadian Provincial Securities Law. Forward-looking statements involve risks and uncertainties, and undue reliance should not be placed on such statements. Certain material factors or assumptions are implied in making forward-looking statements, and actual results may differ materially from those expressed or implied in such statements. For additional information about factors that may cause actual results to differ materially from expectations and about material factors or assumptions applied in making forward-looking statements, please consult the MD&A for the quarter and spots other filings with the Canadian and U.S. securities regulators. I will now turn the conference over to Mr. Peter Groskoff. Please go ahead, Mr. Groskoff. Good morning, everyone, and thanks for joining us today. I hope that you're all staying safe and managing through these challenging times. On the call with me today is Whitney George, President of Sprott, our CFO, Kevin Hibbert, and John Champaglia, the CEO of Sprott Asset Management. Our Q3 results were released this morning and are available on our website, where you can also find our financial statements and MD&A. I'll start on slide four, and then I'll quickly pass it over to the team. On the third quarter of, during the third quarter of 2020, gold continued to perform well, breaking through $2,000 per ounce and setting a new high in early August before pulling back later in the quarter. For much of the year, markets have remained focused on two key issues. First, the economic impacts of COVID-19, and secondly, the U.S. election. The COVID situation is ongoing, and although the results of the U.S. election are still being digested, market reactions appear favorable. While we understand that on a short-term basis, the expectations for additional stimulus and its effect on both interest rates and equities will remain in focus, we believe the long-term trends which have driven precious metal prices to new highs remain unchanged. In the first nine months of 2020, gold outperformed all major asset classes, and we expect this trend will continue to be positive into 2021. Turning over to slide five for a look at some of our year-to-date highlights. We continue to experience significant asset growth with our assets under management increasing by 76% during the first nine months of 2020. These gains have been driven by a combination of factors, including $2.3 billion in year-to-date sales, largely in our physical trusts, stronger gold and silver prices, 
the Q1 acquisition and closure of the Tocqueville Gold Strategies, and strong investment performance within our managed equity strategies. These factors combined to benefit our year-to-date financial performance, resulting in a 36% increase in adjusted base EBITDA and operating margins of approximately 46% through the first nine months of the year. And remember, we have a bit of a lag when it comes to recognizing the effects of higher assets within our system. Yesterday, our board of directors approved an 8.7% increase to our quarterly dividend effective immediately. This increase is a reflection of the robust financial performance of the company and our strong financial position. We're confident that our business will support not only this dividend level, but it will continue to allow us to fund future growth initiatives. We continue to work to build shareholder value, and our efforts have been recognized lately through Sprott's addition to the S&P TSX Composite Index and our inclusion in the TSX 30, which recognizes the 30 top-performing TSX stocks over a three-year period based on dividend-adjusted share price appreciation. I'll now pass it over to Kevin for some detailed comments on our quarterly results. Thanks, Peter, and uh, good morning, everyone. I'll, slide, I'll start on a slide six, which provides a summary of our AUM as at September 30th, uh, 2020. Uh, our AUM finished the quarter at $16.3 billion, up $2.4 billion, or 17%, from uh, June 30th, 2020, and was up $7 billion, or 76%, from December 31st, 2019. Uh, Our AUM benefited largely from strong inflows into our physical trusts, strong precious metals prices in our physical trusts, and strong market value appreciation across most of our equity fund products. We also benefited from new capital calls, net of distributions in our lending funds. Uh, Slides seven and eight contain our three and nine months operating performance. And what you'll see there is that our adjusted base EBITDA in the quarter was $12 million, up $4.4 million or 58% from the prior period and was $29.4 million on a year-to-date basis, up $7.9 million, or 36%. The uh, increases on a three- and nine-month-ended basis uh, were primarily due to strong net inflows and precious metals price appreciation in our exchange-listed products. The Tocqueville Gold Strategies acquisition uh, AUM benefits earlier this year coupled with stronger equity valuations in our precious metals fund strategies. However, we also benefited from increased commission revenues in our brokerage segment due to very strong equity origination and transaction activity. Uh, All these increases more than offset lower finance income in our lending segment and higher compensation as a result of the acquisition and increased revenues and earnings across the company that are driving our variable at-risk compensation. For more information on our revenues, expenses, and EBITDA, you can refer to the supplemental information section of this presentation 
as well as our Q3 2020 MD&A that we filed earlier this morning. With that said, I'll pass things over to John. John? Great. Thanks, Kevin, and good morning, everybody. Uh, we had a very good quarter uh, in Q3, and I think it's very encouraging given price of gold peaked first week of August and is down about 9% since, and silver peaked around the same time and is down about 14%. So uh, we've had a little bit of a correction in the price of gold and silver, uh, but it hasn't really stopped the momentum in the, in the product suite, and uh, the sales have been, I, I would describe, as quite robust in the last quarter and the subsequent six weeks since the quarter end. Um, I think more importantly, the AUM levels are up substantially since Q1, and that lag effect that Peter referenced is very important because it's starting to dissipate, and now you're starting to see the AUM growth from earlier in 2020 fall to the bottom line, so that's something to be mindful of. In the spring, a lot of our inflows were driven by retail investors. Uh, they were the first movers, uh, but in the last uh, four or five months, we've seen this rotation to institutions. Um, looking at our last 13F filings in, uh, across our physical bullion trusts, we're seeing a growing list of institutional ownership, which we think is very positive. Obviously, they control huge amounts of capital, and we're starting to see that rotation uh, from institutions into the precious metal sector. Uh, more recently, with the Biden uh, presidency, um, we think it'll be very supportive for precious metals. We, we think it will accelerate the return of U.S. retail buyers into the, into the segment, uh, which is a very slow and steady uh, uh, group of purchasers. Um, more recently, we expanded our at-the-market offering to uh, include the Canadian dollar versions of our billion trusts on the TSX. And I'm, I'm happy to, to, to say that it's already starting to pay dividends and we're starting to raise capital. This is new incremental capital. We have not had any ATM in place on the TSX traded versions of our funds. And we're starting to see investor interest and liquidity improve there. Um, since the end of the quarter, flows have been, been pretty decent. Um, October was approximately 100 million in the exchange listed segment and November so far is a, a, approaching 100 million at 97. So um, despite the price of gold kind of peaking first week of August, we still have close to uh, 700 million in net flows into the, into the category over that period of time. Um, so continued interest, um, and we're starting to see new buyers come into the market, uh, and hopefully people are, are picking up metals on this price dip that we've seen. Uh, AUM over the quarter is up about 300 million, so we continue to, to add, add, add to it uh, since the quarter end. And with that, I will pass it over to Whitney to talk about the Manage Equity segment. Thank you, John, and good morning, everybody. Um, the, uh, the great news in managed equities, um, I, I believe, is still in front of us. Um, our performance um, has, um, has been very strong, as has the category this year. Uh, most of our funds are up uh, 25 to 50 percent. Actually, more recently, maybe closer to uh, 30 to 60 percent, um, which is, you know, a very strong showing for the sector, and it is underpinned by uh, a very, very healthy fundamentals within the individual companies. Um, this quarter's earnings reports featured a lot of earnings surprises to the upside, a lot of dividend increases, um, a lot of positive fundamentals. Um, despite um, the slowdowns caused uh, by COVID. 
so fundamentally, the category is very strong, arguably, you know, one of the few growth, real growth categories out there um, with valuations um, still very attractive. Um, many, many companies still trading at, uh, at, at, at 10% free cash flow um, yields, and so we're very excited as active managers. Um, our annualized redemption rate, uh, which is a feature of the mutual fund business, um, has been um, sequentially um, shrinking. Uh, we were at a 22.5% rate uh, earlier in the year on the first quarter, and um, that's come down to about a 13.9% rate. Um, those are redemptions. Um, they're now being offset uh, by new sales, um, but it's very early days. Um, uh, but the trend is for um, a flattening out, um, and, um, and we expect um, we're very well positioned to capture uh, gross and, uh, and net sales uh, you know, in the very near future, if not already. Um, part of this is driven by the performance. Part of this is driven by the relative performance of active strategies versus uh, the more widely held passive strategies in the category. Um, since July, um, active management's had a payoff. The market is spread out to include uh, and, and appreciate mid and smaller um, mining companies, and that's been very helpful for everybody who does fundamental analysis. And our relative performance versus the, our, all of our peers um, is gaining traction very, very quickly where we are um, either at or, um, or ahead of uh, most of our competition. I think our Canadian nine-point offering is the number two in its category uh, year-to-date. So the team has come together, um, and uh, we have a very deep bench, as you know, and, and the analytical work and active management is starting to bear fruit. So um, we're well positioned to capture new flows. And, um, and we think, uh, again, um, across the board, um, the, the market has yet to recognize uh, the fundamentals on the equity side. Um, and they are uh, due to play catch up and then some against the physical um, part of our business. So thank you, everybody, for, for your attention. All right, thanks, Whitney. Uh, turning now to slide 11 for a quick look at our private strategies. Uh, we currently have more than 900 million of total AUM in our private strategies, as well as substantial undrawn commitments. In our lending business, we've recently generated exceptionally strong performance for our LPs. Uh, LF2 has deployed more than 300 million and has an additional 400 million in advanced stage opportunities at some stage in the closing process. Given the current pace of deployment, which has exceeded our expectations in terms of timing, uh, the team is planning for new fundraising efforts in 2021. And we continue to build out our streaming and royalty strategies with the addition of Carolyn Donnelly as managing partner. Carolyn joins us from Denim Capital and will be based out of Houston and she will work alongside Mike Harrison and the rest of the streaming team. Uh, just turning to slide 12, you can see a chart from our friends at Incrementum AG, uh, which is really a, a fairly key ratio for us and our business. So we believe that the government debt has passed its Minsky moment and um, that we're now into a completely different phase in the markets. And 
that there are three things that governments have promised that they may not be able to deliver on. Uh, the first, which is illustrated on the page, is the long-term issue, which is the overall level of debt to uh, the underlying productive capacity to cover that debt and where this, this key ratio has absolutely blasted off the top corner of the page. The second one would be the entitlements um, that have been promised to an aging demographic. And the third, which is new, is the implicit promise to keep everyone safe, the economy humming, and the financial markets happy during the current pandemic, um, which will be extremely costly. And in this environment, uh, while we realize that traditional financial portfolios still do need to um, include uh, some measure of equity exposure and some measure of credit exposure as well as some, uh, as well as some ready cash, we believe that gold has assumed a newly important role in order to protect and ensure financial portfolios um, going forward. So this is, in a nutshell, is our business plan, and we believe it has a long way to go. Um, turning now to slide 13 for some closing thoughts. We believe the fundamentals are in place for a sustained bull market in precious metals. We've positioned the firm for this trend, and we're now focused on execution to capitalize. We're continuing to explore opportunities to launch complementary products in key segments and watch for us to be adding some new exchange-listed strategies this year and also looking at private equity in the sector. Our greatest asset is our brand and our people, and we're committed to leveraging them to the fullest extent, both domestically and internationally, through distribution partnerships that will extend our global reach. And that concludes the remarks for today's call. I'll now turn it back to the operator for some Q&A. Thank you. As a reminder, to ask a question, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. To withdraw your question, press the pound key. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. And our first question comes from Gary Ho with Disjardins Capital Markets. Your line is now open. Thanks. Good morning. Um, maybe first question just for John. Just, just want to confirm some of the numbers that, uh, that you provided. Uh, I think you said 300 million in AUM so far in Q4, and uh, roughly 197 million in net flows. Do I have that correct? And uh, are those net flows just on the exchange listed products, or is that on, uh, on a consolidated basis? Um, just on the exchange listed, and all the numbers are, that you echoed back are correct. Okay. And, and and do you have any color on how it looks like on a consolidated? Um, sure. So what we're seeing in the managed equities um, is a flattening of redemptions, of net redemptions. So to give you some color, uh, in July we had minus 38 million for the month, August minus 22, September plus 16, October minus 8, and I'm going to guess November will be slightly positive. So we've gone from kind of a you know annualized say 500 million dollar net redemption run rate to kind of flatten. Um, and that's the first step. The first step is to flatten it for a number of months, and we're starting to see evidence of that. Um, we're also encouraged by the number of in institutional inquiries we're getting about separate accounts that are largely equity skewed. So uh, as I said to you 
earlier in the call, a lot of the sales have been institutional, focused on physical uh, metal, but I would say in the last couple of months, those conversations are starting to switch to the equities, uh, which we think is a really good sign, and we've always believed that the rotation would, would be gold bullion first, followed by silver bullion, followed by the equities, and that's exactly what's kind of playing out right now. Um, so the conversations we're having with institutions, they can be anywhere from you know, $10 million investments that could be up to $200 million investments. And those are the one, those are the conversations we're having right now. And, and that's what's going to tip us into back into positive sales in that segment. So, um, the institutional sales pro uh, process is always longer. Um, there's a lot more steps involved, but you know, we're, we're having those conversations and uh, we're encouraged by, by the, uh, the, the potential results. Okay, perfect. Thanks for the color. Uh, and then second question maybe for, for Kevin. Um, just wondering if you can provide some color just on the corporate EBITDA number. I think you, you mentioned kind of compensation and some of the variable comp. Um, you know, given the current AUM, uh, is that a level that we should expect, uh, you know, looking out in, in terms of expectations for, for that line item um, for Q4 and, and 2021? Uh, um, so, so you're, you're referring, are you referring to compensation just in corporate or, or across the enterprise? Um, I'm, I'm actually looking just uh, by, by segment, just on the corporate EBITDA. Um, I think that was minus four and change. Uh, that was, uh, oh, okay, that was a little yeah, bit off, right. of, off of my model. I just want some guidance how I should, how I should look at that. Okay. Uh, so a couple things. It'll, it's, um, I, I probably focus. Let me just focus on the the, the expense items. The gains or losses are um, um, are not EBITDA relevant. So on the on the comp side, uh, I would say you, you it, it's not a run rate that I that I want you to to rely on for Q4. Um, at a high level, the AIP is higher because for one thing, it's a greater proportion of the uh, compensation of the employees, not just in corporate, but across the whole organization um, since 2018 when we moved to, as, as you recall, Gary, I know you, you pay pretty close attention to our, our circulars. Um, the variable at-risk pay component is much larger now than it was in the past as we've reduced the amount of sort of fixed uh, pay, you know, over the years as far as salaries and, and commissions and things of that sort. Uh, so. The proportion of it uh, relative to the rest of the comp, which you'd see elsewhere in the MDNA, uh, will will continue for the foreseeable future. But the year-over-year -year delta you saw, uh, both in quarter and on a year-to-date basis, is is primarily due to the uh, the performance triggers uh, being significantly exceeded year-over-year um, -year versus in the in um, the prior year. Uh, the key ones are revenue growth and operating margin expansion. So if you look at our, our eight-quarter rule, you'll see that on both fronts there's a sizable increase. Um, so that's the main reason for the AIP being a bigger proportion of the total comp and being up um, significantly year over year. Uh, but also in that comp number is the, um, the additional corporate uh, folks we have in shared services supporting the acquisition of Tocqueville as well as uh, the private resources investments that we've done in people, uh, specifically lending, Korea, 
Uh, and then we had, thirdly, a reclassification of some of our people from some of the operating segments into uh, corporate as their responsibilities expanded to more corporate-wide ones. For example, Whitney George is now operating as president, so his comp will be reflected in here more so than the other segments. And then there were a few other folks that have more enterprise-wide responsibilities. So, so um, I'd, I'd probably say it's too early to tell right now what would be a good run rate for you going forward, but I, I wouldn't say that Q4 will necessarily be as large period-over-period uh, period or year-over-year year uh, uh, compared to what you see here. Kevin, maybe I can ask it the other way. The, the, the nine months ended was roughly $9 million in comp for corporate. If I annualize that, that's 12. You know, is, is that a better number um, when I think about it on a, on a year, um, on an annual basis? Uh, you, could, you, could try, you could do that, but again, uh, a big component of that number is the annual incentive. Uh, if our operating metrics change materially in the fourth quarter, then that number will change materially as well. So, so it's kind of hard to just do a cursory extrapolation of the nine-month number because uh, obviously our results could change quite significantly depending on where, for example, gold prices are or gold equities move. And also, okay. we also have to keep in mind transaction volumes in our, our broker-dealer, uh, which have been quite strong. But uh, if those change, it could have a, a material impact on our numbers as well. So not sure I can really comment on, on, on what a good run rate would be at this time. Okay. Oh, that's, that's fine. Okay. And then my last question, just on the lending uh, AUM, that has been laddish over the last few quarters. You know, Peter, uh, is that a function of the current environment? And can you provide a bit more context? I think uh, you mentioned um, you know you're expecting 100 million plus for for 2020, but how does it look like on a capital deployment basis um, in in uh, in 2021? Uh, <clears throat> so it's a complex equation, as as you know. Um, we start with um, commitments. Some of those commitments. Um, as I understand it, count as AUM because they pay fees right from the start. Some of them don't. Um, but definitely when capital is deployed, it all counts as AUM. And I keep my eye on the overall trajectory of the capital that's deployed in that business. The overall trajectory is up. The overall pipeline is really strong and we're in the process of closing a lot of deployments. So um, what it looks to me like is a business that should, you know, manage over a billion dollars of capital going forward and then be able to have uh, streaming uh, on top of that, you know, hopefully that would get to a billion five um, in total. And that's kind of what we have on the table right now. That's what we're kind of focused on building the overall books to. And it's complicated because of all the different ways of counting assets. And obviously repayments pay um, things like performance fees, but repayments reduce your AUM. So it's a bit of a, um, a slow treadmill that's grinding higher. Okay, and then getting to that, uh, including streaming, that 1.5, um, can you give us a potential time frame? Is it kind of 12, 24 months? Is it 24, 36 months? Uh, how are you guys budgeting for that? Well, the, the streaming uh, target is $500 million. Um, we thought right now there's about $70 million deployed, and I think there's more in the closing pipeline. 
um, but there also needs to be more capital raised. So we've kind of set a year's target to get to at least half of that amount and then another year's target to hopefully get to all of it. That's the way we've looked at it. Okay. Great. That's, no, that's, that's very helpful. Okay, that's it for me. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from Rasee Banji with TD Securities. Your line is now open. Thank you. Good morning. Um, so I missed the first few minutes of the call, so I apologize if you've already addressed this, but um, I was wondering if you can provide some color around your brokerage segment. You know, pretty healthy activity in Q3. Um, so just wondering, in Q4 so far, are you seeing this uh, strong activity persist? And if you have any expectations for next year, it would also be helpful. Well, the brokers the hardest. Uh, the brokers are the hardest uh, division to forecast because it does depend more on activity levels. But um, two things worth noting: number one, the activity levels are continuing strong, um, and number two, in the U.S. broker in particular, we're moving assets from assets under administration to assets under management, and that will uh, smooth our uh, revenue in that business. Uh, it will become a, a management business and, um, you know, there will still be transactions across the brokers, but um, we're hoping to um, have a, a, a sort of predictable level of cash flow there and, and then still have the upside from having, um, uh, when, when you get into a, a really bullish market in one of the minerals, you can produce a lot of uh, transactional revenue in, in, in that sector. Okay, that helps. So I know I'm not being too specific, but the, in in general, the levels are continuing. Yes. Yeah. So near-term strength, at least, and then going forward, based on the sentiment of the market, that's where it should trend towards. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, second question was just on your so your consolidated on uh, EBITDA margin. So revenue overall really strong, but then uh, compensation expenses specifically were a bit higher as well, which. Um, slightly pressured the margin. So uh, going forward, um, in terms of margin expansion and the, the level of compensation, uh, what would be your view on uh, the, the, the EBITDA margin that the business could accomplish? So I'll, I'll take that one. I think I got most of what you were asking. Um, from a margin perspective, we're actually quite um, quite comfortable with what we see here as a, uh, a minimum go-forward rate. Um, okay. Enterprise-wide, we're at about 47%. Um, that 40% margin is, is actually uh, quite significant for this, this sort of business. Uh, there's not too many asset managers on the planet that can, can produce that type of number. Um, I think that um, there is no pressure on the margin, certainly not from compensation. Um, in fact, that it would be the opposite. Um, operating margins are a key factor in the comp calculations for our new variable at risk uh, pay model. So I, I think we're going to be uh, in the high 40s for uh, the foreseeable future. Okay, okay. that makes sense. And uh, just my last question was on... And if anything, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the margin was uh, at this level or even higher come uh, come Q4 on a full-year basis. Okay, that makes sense. Gotcha. And uh, yeah, just my last question on was on market sentiment. So, um, I, like, since the vaccine was announced earlier this week, I was wondering if you've seen a, a change in sentiment as 
the, the market sort of indicated more of a risk on sentiment. So I'm wondering if that's showing up in your flows yet, or are this, the strength in precious metals still as uh, strong as it was before? Well, I'm going to answer that from a really 30,000 foot level from our business, and then I'm going to pass it on to Whitney, but um, for more specific comment. Um, but from 30,000 feet, when you look at Sprott, um, we were 10 years ago dealing with a fringe asset that mostly was traded by gold bugs and hedge funds and was not very accepted in terms of being in the mainstream of portfolio assets. We're now dealing with an entirely different equation. So from our perspective, the um, pool of available investors, the pool of available assets and the potential is, is just a night and day difference. We don't see any change in the uh, incoming tide, if you want to call it that, of people that are interested in gold and using gold as an insurance asset to offset other market risks. In fact, we think we're still at the very early stages of uh, adoption. Um, so this is, this is an, you know, a, an asset class that's now accepted and it's now mainstream and we're kind of just getting started. So Whitney, do you want to talk about specific market sentiment? Um, yeah, thank you, Peter. I, I think it's kind of from a historic perspective um, important to understand, particularly in North America, you know, where people are. Um, you know, gold, you know, really in the United States was kind of a fringe asset class, um, as um, Peter suggested. You know, when you have the world's reserve currency, you know, why do you need gold? And um, I think that's being challenged. I think that's being questioned by you know, mainstream investors. Clearly, we're seeing it in our physical um, activity. Um, you know, it is considered more mainstream in Europe and certainly in Asia. Um, but I think um, particularly in the United States, which is a very, very large market, um, that we are um, way behind the curve in terms of its utility. Um, on the equity side, uh, again, um, after a long bear market, um, you know, you have uh, a very strong recovery, but people still remembering uh, the volatility uh, that can occur in this space. You know, the sins of uh, the prior peak bull market uh, committed by companies, um, sort of a recognition, you know, it happens slowly. And, of course, the, the, the best way to discover it is through the kind of results these companies are producing. But... Uh, this is a much better better managed industry than it was six years ago. Um, most managements have changed. Uh, they've become very disciplined, um, and they start to possess the kinds of characteristics that people appreciate in, in other sectors. And, um, and now, most of all, they have earnings, surprises, momentum, and everything else. So I think it's a matter of time where that new understanding adoption, which is happening slowly in this country um, on the physical side, kind of then starts to seek out um, the more you know, tactical opportunity that you can get by investing in gold equities. Um, and um, I, I, nothing has changed uh, with the election or anything else. We, we had a fairly sharp you know, pullback um, after hitting all-time highs. Um, I think that pause um, and backup you know, allows people uh, now to reconsider without feeling like they're chasing something. Um, so it's been very, very healthy. Um, and with the election behind us, and uh, none of the fundamentals changed or were likely to change no matter who won, um, um, I, think, um, I think we're going to end for a pretty good, you know, exciting time right now. Okay. That sounds good. I appreciate the color.
Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from Jeff Kwan with RBC Capital Markets. Your line is now open. Hi. Uh, good morning. Just a, a two-part question, and that's all I had. Is just is there anything you can talk about where uh, performance fees on a crude basis uh, would be today? Recognize obviously it can swing either you know either way between now and year end. And then just similarly, any update on the timing uh, of when you think uh, you might realize some uh, performance fees on the lending fund? Okay, it's best if Kevin answers that question. I can tell you uh, we were just talking about it this week um, because the numbers are are getting a little better. Um, I would say uh, on the lend, just to answer the lending fund side of that question, um, they have one uh, large uh, loan remaining in LF1, and um, you know, we're, we're very happy with that loan. So it's kind of, um, it, it's a two-sided uh, knife in that if, if we lose the loan, we're going to have a performance fee uh, payable right away. And if we keep the loan, we're going to keep making great income on it. And... Uh, and continue to manage it and, and probably have greater gains later on, I would think. So um, that's going to resolve itself early in 2021 for the lending fund, lending LF1. LF2, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty, it, it's, it's a bigger number, um, but it's, it's also a, a, a portfolio that's still being deployed. So it's not a, I don't think it's a 2021 date at all. It's 2022 at the earliest. Kevin, you want to comment on any numbers or maybe you, yeah, yeah, maybe, just, you maybe you won't. <laughs> yeah, no, but uh, no, just to build on that, I would, I would just say just from a pure accounting and, and recognition perspective, um, the accounting rules in, in, um, in Canada under IFRS are, are converged with the U S and, in that um, we actually can't report or disclose uh, performance fees or carried interests on funds where they haven't been crystallized. And in the case of the, the lending products, uh, they would be crystallized at the maturity of the fund um, or if it were uh, wound up early. Uh, for example, if a material amount of, of, of loans end up repaying to the point where uh, the, the the PMs feel it's best to close up the fund, lock in those gains, and, and provide the, the outperformance to to the unit holders. Uh, it's at that point that we'd be able to reflect it. Um, and generally speaking, across the rest of the, the businesses where we have performance, the accounting would be the same, which is we'd book it at the time it's crystallized, which in most cases is at the end of the fiscal year. Um, I don't know if John or Whitney have any specific color they want to share on the managed equities side as far as performance. Sure. Um, on managed equities, um, you know, with the departure of Eric Sprott and his you know, fund, we, we sort of got out of the performance fee business. Um, we now have uh, two funds, uh, our, our uh, special situations uh, with John Hathaway and, um, and Neil Adshed's Drill Driven Alpha Fund. Um, they're private partnerships, so we can't really talk about um, the metrics, but um, they are, you know, performing very well. Um, and uh, they carry with them um, annual uh, performance fees. I believe it's 20% of performance above and beyond 8% on top of their management fees, and those would show up um, after the end of you know, our fourth quarter. And so I just wanted to clarify, uh, Kevin and Whitney, so um, 
you're not actually allowed to even talk. I, I get you, you can't book it until that actually happens, but you're not even allowed to kind of kind of verbally or whatever kind of talk about where you, you would sit on an accrued basis? Well, on the equity side, you've got to tell me where, you know, the market's going to be and, and you know, where the equities are going to be. <laughs> I couldn't, I wouldn't venture a guess. Um, I'm not sure what is disclosed on our balance sheet in terms of our co-investments um, um, and, uh, and fund sizes. Um, but, again, because they're private partnerships, um, I, I think we're prohibited from really sharing a lot of information to the public. Okay, thanks. Do we, um, Kevin, do we disclose the size of those products? Uh, we provide the co-investment co uh, balances on our financials, but we wouldn't provide the entire uh, broken out value by particular fund because it's, it's, not, our, it's not our assets, right? It's, um, it's client-managed money, so we wouldn't but consolidate that. I, where we, we describe would. our products, we, we have a description of our products that we break out, uh, manage equities, uh, physicals, and with the individual products and the fee rates um, in our MDNA, don't we? Yes, correct. Uh, at, at a little bit of a higher level, it's grouped by strategy. Thank you. This concludes the question and answer session. I would now like to turn the call back over to Peter Groskoff for closing remarks. Okay, well, thank you everybody for joining us on today's call. Uh, we appreciate your interest. We look forward to reporting to you at our next quarter, and we hope you have a good weekend. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.